when I hear people say that they really like the idea and that makes a lot of sense, I can see in them the same thing I saw in myself over a decade ago when I'm like, yeah, this stuff makes sense. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, gang, welcome on back to the show. It's great to have you here once again. This is episode number 162 of this program. I'd like to invite you over to our website where you can find all the links about everything we discuss in today's show. You can find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash 162. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an exciting legal alternative to the standard ACA-compliant health insurance most of you have to have. Be sure to check it out at lionsofliberty.com slash health. And boy, oh boy, has it been a busy couple weeks here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. If you guys tuned in last week during Thanksgiving week, you heard our awesome, fun, hilarious, if I do say so myself, crossover special with our good friends over at the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Be sure to tick back and check that out if you missed it. We had a couple of debates. We had a Republican debate, a Democratic debate. We had Brian McWilliams in the studios discussing Rand Paul after the Paris attacks. So much going on. But right now, today, we're going to get back to format a little bit with another great interview and another great guest. Today, I've got with me the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. Some people even call him the Ron Paul of Canada. I'm just going to call him by his real name, Tim Moan. Tim, are you ready to roar? Oh, yeah. All right. That's, see, that's, that's a yes. This is working out great. Now, I informed Tim before the show I'm starting this new cheesy thing, and you know, you're right into it. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that was a roar. It sounded a little macho man, Randy yeah, Savage, was, to me for a that, second. Maybe there. that's why I like it so much, because I'm a huge wrestling geek, as I've admitted a couple times on this show. So maybe that's why it, it rang true with me so much. There you go. Uh, but yes, t- Tim, I want to start off, like I always do, with uh, my liberty-minded guests when they first appear on the show, and that's to find out a little bit more about yourself and how you first became interested in the ideas of liberty. So how did this all start for you, Tim? Well, I, it probably started a little over a decade ago. I was going through sort of a, uh, a crisis in my life. I, I was going through a, uh, a divorce and uh, my life had kind of hit rock bottom. And a big part of that was, uh, you know, getting a divorce was uh, actually contravened the religion of my childhood. You know, I grew up in a very evangelical Christian household and I knew for a fact that I was going to hell now that this divorce was going through and uh and so that troubled me greatly and I, and I just started looking into you know scripture and whether that was actually going to happen and whether you know w- I was looking for answers about uh whether I was going to you know the eternal state of of my future kind of thing and uh and so as a result of that process you know I became very skeptical actually of my the, the ch- religion of my childhood and uh, I started reading philosophers like Ayn Rand. I was introduced to, uh, you know, famous atheists like Penn Jillette and uh, Richard Dawkins and that sort of thing. And, uh, and you know, as a result of kind of realizing that all the beliefs I had about the world had to do with nothing that I had arrived at through reason and evidence and had everything to do with the fact that uh, culture, family, my environment basically put those beliefs in my head, I started wondering what else uh, was in my head that wasn't true. And so my approach to libertarianism was it came from the path of skepticism, skepticism about my own beliefs about the nature of reality. And um, 
you know, it helped to to have uh, you know philosophers like Ayn Rand and and you know I think the, the tipping point for me was probably the show uh, Penn and Teller's Bullshit, uh, which I, I you know started watching because they were debunking uh, pseudoscientific claims and psychics and uh, you know these extraordinary claims. But I stuck around because they start they were talking about how handicapped spaces are are BS and how. Uh, you know, recycling is BS and all these libertarian themes. And I'm like, this stuff actually makes a lot of sense. So, so that was my introduction to libertarianism. I went through a, 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 I guess you could say it wasn't really a midlife crisis. It was an early life crisis. Um, and, you know, I just challenged all the beliefs I had about everything to do with the, the nature of reality. Tim, that might honestly be one of the most interesting answers I've ever gotten to that question because this most people it comes from them stumbling upon a book or, or stumbling upon Ayn Rand or hearing a Ron Paul speech. But for you, it seems like it really came from a, a sort of a personal inner moral struggle. You actually really believe that you were going to hell at one point, and that really started your your search for the ideas of well, is that true? <laughs> I need to dig deeper into everything, and that, it seems like that started just a broader search for I guess truth in the world for you. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, truth mattered so much to me and and it always mattered so much to me and I think a big part of the reason it mattered so much to me is that you know I knew there there was a hell and I really wanted to avoid hell and so I knew that there was a hell and I knew that the the contents of my heart and my mind was all important and so I needed to make sure the contents of my heart and mind were perfectly aligned with reality to avoid going to hell and so I incessantly asked everyone around me questions. I was intensely curious. I, I was never satisfied with the answers I got. So that that really, you know, I, I guess in one sense, ha- having the threat of hell held over my head probably set me on this path of inset, you know, insatiable appetite for the truth. You're, you're definitely the first person to reference the threat of hell as what <laughs> sent them down the, the path of liberty. So you, you definitely get points for the most unique answer. That, that's really interesting to me, Tim. And uh, so, you know, I, we maybe we have some Canadian listeners out there. I know at least one Canadian friend of mine is listening. So I, obviously the ideas of libertarianism, the word libertarian, this is a word that a lot of Americans at least have some idea what it means. But I, I'm not sure if that same if that carries over in Canada. Obviously you have a lot more experience with that than I do. But how do you present the concept of what being libertarian, what libertarianism is to fellow Canadians. What's your, say, 90-second elevator speech? Well, I mean, first of all, I have to say, you know, people, one of the first things that people ask me is, uh, you know, libertarian, is that like the libertarians in the U.S., those Tea Party nutters? And so so right away, we have our work ahead of and us. And I'm like, that's not even like the libertarians <laughs> in the U.S., but... Yeah, I know, and that's, and, and that's you know, at the end of it, I have to explain, look, that I know libertarians in the U.S., they're, those are, <laughs> they're not the same thing. Uh, but no, you know, I, I just explained to him, look, we, we, you know, it's the typical speech. We, we're all about smaller government. We think that we, we want the government involved in less of our lives. And, uh, you know, that, that some, some would call us uh, socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Um, but, but essentially, we just want the government uh, out of our lives. And we want, uh, you know, the government represents force. And we think that uh, force ought to be limited to protecting people, not imposing on people. And, that's essentially, you know, where the conversation starts. And then we start going, you know, I, I just I'm open to questions. And how do you solve this problem? And how do you solve that problem? And, and uh, you know, so uh, it, it's, uh, it's a difficult one to, to pitch up here in Canada, I find, because it's we, we in a lot of ways, we don't have the culture of freedom that the US has, you know, especially with things like uh, gun rights, you know, that and, and, you know, in Canada, 
it's uh, sacrilege to talk about ending universal health care. I mean, people up here just, you know, it's like the Soviet Union back in the 50s or 60s. You know, you've got people standing in line for hours to get their stale loaf of health care bread and trying to imagine how they could get this product without the state providing it. They, they just simply can't. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a big pill to swallow to try to get there. So, um, you know, it, it's, I find people are generally receptive to the idea, but then when it comes to certain things, um, like we, we have our state broadcaster, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, we did this campaign that said, sell the CBC. And, and one of our members said, oh, I thought I was a libertarian, but I like the CBC. Maybe I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> And I'm like, oh man, okay, we got a lot of work to do here. <laughs> so that's one of the biggest things, healthcare anyway, is one of the biggest things I hear, not just from Canadians praise. I mean, I have Canadian friends who've said, yeah, it's great. We just go to the doctor, we get fixed up and we get sent home. We don't pay anything. It's wonderful. And then I hear Americans who say, man, we got to do it like Canada. So what's your response to that when so many people seem, I guess, content with the current system? Or, or maybe there is some discontent that I don't know about not being too familiar with the goings on in Canada. Well, look, you just have to get past the fact that it's not free, first of all. I mean, um, in the community I lived in, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the, we, we figured out that a typical household in that community would pay about $35,000 a year via their taxation into the healthcare system. Now, you don't get a healthcare bill, but you certainly get a tax bill. And, uh, and, and the majority of your tax bill is healthcare. And we certainly didn't get $35,000 a year worth of healthcare in that community. I mean, we had six hour waits in Emerge. We had three month waits to see a, a family physician. Uh, we had six months, you know, my daughter had to wait six months after a car accident to get an MRI to see why she was limping. And six months just to get an MRI. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, you can't do simple things like, you know, I went to my family physician after waiting months to see him because I had this plan. I was going on this diet. And it was a high lipid diet, a high protein diet. And so there were some risks associated with it. I wanted to check my lipid levels. Now, as a paramedic, I know what I'm looking for in my blood. I also wanted to check inflammatory factors. So there's C-reactive protein. And so I, I wanted a blood test every week during while I started this diet for the first six weeks to, to just see how my body was responding to this new diet. And um, the doctor said, no, you don't need that test. You only need this blood test once a year. It's too expensive. You can't have it. I said, well, I'm willing to pay for it. And we basically got in a yelling match and he wouldn't prescribe it. And so I went down to the lab and said, look, could I just buy this blood test? I understand it's expensive. I'm willing to pony up the cash for it. Um, I want to see what's in my blood. And they said, no, no, it's illegal. So, so you know, Canadians are so propagandized into the idea that we have good health care. We don't. We can't buy our pets. I can buy my pet a CT scan tomorrow. Uh, I can't do that for my own kid. I mean, it's ridiculous. That just seems so crazy. So you can't even go around the system in Canada if you do have your own money. After you've paid all these high taxes, you can't even go ahead and get your own blood test, get your own MRI. You have to wait yeah. for to basically just be told, okay, now you can do this or no, you can't. There are a few rare cases where you can, I mean, you can go, you can buy an MRI in certain places in Canada. You can probably get blood tests, I'd imagine, in certain places. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I could probably draw my own blood and send it to the U.S. to get it. But I mean, the point is, it, it's incredibly hard uh, to access healthcare in Canada outside the, the state that we get. But again, people are so indoctrinated, they, ju they just can't imagine how healthcare could be provided any other way. 
And, uh, you know, the stories I get from people, Canadians that have experienced the U.S. system are that it's far superior. They, ha they have concierge service. They, they get in to see, they get the service they need right away. Their health insurance covers it. You know, it's, um, so I don't know. I'm kind of jealous. I, I know you guys have a lot of problems down there. And generally speaking, you know, I tell people, look, you know, we're comparing socialism and fascism in a sense, right? When we exactly. compare the two healthcare systems. And so, you know, it's may, maybe socialism's a bit better, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I mean, but you know, it, there's, there's so many, so many myths and so much propaganda around. It's Stalin versus Hitler. I mean, how, how yes. do you choose, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing in the U S I mean, I, I'm not a fan of our system at all. It's a, it's, as you said, a fascist, a corporate crony capitalist system. That's at this point designed to just prop up a few companies, a few healthcare companies that essentially control the entire industry. But at least there is some freedom in the sense that doctors are allowed to come up with their own systems. I just interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago, a great guy, Josh Umber, who has a concierge service, 50 bucks a month. And you can basically see him unlimitedly. He can come to your house. You can text him. You can send him photos of you have a bruise and he can say, Oh, that's no nothing. You don't need to come in. This is just, 50 bucks a month for total health care from, from a doctor. And, and I mean, that's one fifth of like the lowest health care plan, health insurance plan I could buy. So at least there are actually some alternatives that are allowed to legally creep in where it seems like those options are, are more limited in Canada. Yeah. I mean, that, that physician would go to jail for doing something like that in Canada. I mean, he'd have his life ruined <laughs> for providing. That is so crazy. To How me. dare you? That's you're providing a two tiered service. How dare you help people? Exactly, exactly. For an affordable yeah. right, for, for an affordable price. It, it's unbelievable. You know, I, I did a campaign video. I, I never released it because, uh, you know, my campaign team thought that uh, people in Canada might not get it. But I, I did like the opposite of the libertarian platform. It's kind of a satirical platform. You know, I'm going to raise taxes by 50%, triple red tape. You know, you think Bill C-51 is going to stop terrorists? I'm going to enact Bill C-5100, which will allow me as prime minister immediate access to your, pers your personal mobile devices. And as far as health care, nothing's more important for your health than food. And so we're going to shut down private food production and hand out uh, food through the health care system. Because let's face it, folks, we don't need the elites eating their fancy cracked grain breads. We can get by on white bread. Don't tell me someone's actually proposing that. Well, no, this, this, this was my this was my. Situation. No, no, yeah, I understand that. I just you, you never know where the line between satire and reality is crossed. The reality is, I mean, you know, if if you favor universal health care, if you favor socialized medicine, you have to favor socialized food production because that is the most important element of your health, the, the, your your nutrition, right? So. Um, you know, you can't trust the, the market to provide that. I mean, it's, it's going to be chaos. Now, Tim, speaking of the free market providing things like healthcare, I have to take a quick moment out to tell everyone about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. These guys are really revolutionizing how healthcare is being delivered in the United States through the concept of health sharing. Many people out there are facing serious sticker shock with their health insurance, especially since the ACA Obamacare regulations went into place. They're being forced to buy into this product that they don't really see the value in, and that's what happened to me too. But you might not realize there is a great free market alternative out there known as health sharing, and it is perfectly legal. Health Excellence Select will help you take charge of your own health care without having to deal with the cost and hassle of handling paperwork or spending hours on the phone with bureaucrats trying to get paid. They will handle all the dirty work for you so you can focus on actually being healthy. I don't sell snake oil, guys. I am a health sharing participant myself. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health 
Additionally, and just for listeners of this program, you can contact my representative, Jeff Cantor, directly to answer any questions you have or to receive a concierge registration so you don't have to deal with the paperwork even in signing up. You can call Jeff Cantor at 440-283-6849 or, like I said, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. So how do you tackle not just healthcare, but just this idea of sort of free markets, of individual liberty in Canada, where it seems like people, at least in America, there is this, I guess, like you mentioned earlier, the tradition of freedom. It's it's something that's in a lot of our early writings, a lot of the founders of the country, whereas maybe Canada doesn't have that the exact same history. And it does seem like, in general, the culture is more inclined to look towards the government for solutions for certain things as opposed to free markets. So how do you address just even just the broad basic concerns that other Canadians might have when they when they maybe associate libertarianism with, I guess, maybe your version of the conservatives, and they, which which happens here in the U.S. too, where people hear the word libertarian and they a lot of them think of the Tea Party, they think of the Republican Party, and in many ways, I'm I'm more opposed to the Republicans than the Democrats here. So how do you handle, I guess, a lot of the uh, the misconceptions people might have about libertarianism in Canada? Well, that's that's the million dollar question. I mean, you know, this act. You know, activism is is an art. Uh, it really is about trying to find out how to connect with hearts and minds in, in a compelling way. Um, and and you know, I've found that generally speaking, a pro liberty message um, connects with people more than an anti government message. And so, in a lot of ways, I try to uh, you know I try to communicate the message of liberty by telling stories uh, that of, of people that have you know more personal power and are able to control their lives and flourish because of liberty rather than talk about, you know, the, the, how terrible, uh, funding the state broadcaster is or something like that. Um, so I find that helps, but I also find that, that it really helps to understand your audience and, you know, that people on the left see the world in a different, from a different perspective than people on the right. And, um, Generally speaking, people on the left see things in terms of oppressors versus oppressed. People on the right see things in terms of civility versus barbarism. And, and, and us libertarians, we see everything in terms of authoritarianism versus, uh, versus freedom. And so, you know, if, if we're talking from our worldview to, to people on the left or the right, it, it just isn't as compelling. And so for, I'll give you an example of what I try to do. When I'm talking about a particular policy or or criticism of the state, I try to talk about you know. So, for example, with the drug war, uh, it's easy to sell that sell how the repealing prohibition is a good idea to libertarians. Who Mark has a right to tell you what you can and can't put into your own body? Uh, you know that's very compelling to you because you see the world in terms of authority versus liberty. And uh, and yeah, you're right. Uh, who has the right to tell me what I can and can't put in my body? I'm sold. But but the left and the right don't really that that's not very compelling to them. Uh, so so to the left, you know, I talk about how the most vulnerable people in society are marginalized and and oppressed by the war on drugs. The state oppresses them, and and how you know that's not just true of cannabis, but it's true of of even the harder drugs. And and so if we're concerned about addiction, we're concerned about these people. We ought to we ought to uh, get rid of the very thing that's kind of re-traumatizing them. And then, and then on the right, I mean that that type of narrative would ha- hold no weight with with someone on the right. They're simply concerned with civility versus barbarism. So you talk about how uh, you know we need to repeal prohibition because we can't uh, you know we want we're concerned about crime and we're concerned about 
uh, addiction and we're concerned about social blight. Uh, we want a, a law and order society and the way we get there is by repealing prohibition so that criminal gangs aren't free to flourish and so that uh, addicts and, and, you know, people you know, and, and neighborhood degradation can, can be plugged into uh, the sunlight of the free market, which will, will turn things around. And so, you know, it's really important, I think, to understand the audience and understand and empathize with them, understand how they see the world and understand that they don't see the world like you and I see the world. They see the world through, through kind of different eyes. So instead of trying to necessarily change everyone's worldview, change the way they view politics, you try to show them, well, okay, I understand your viewpoint. Here's how our ideas can make things better. Here's how libertarianism can actually achieve a lot of the things that you desire here. And I think that's that's an effective strategy. We don't necessarily need to change everyone's worldview. I'd like to change people's worldview. I work on that. But at the same time, in the political realm, progress can certainly be made by showing people how, at least here and there, our policies can actually help you out. So is, is that what you would attribute? your approach? I mean, do you think you're taking a unique approach here? Because I know the Libertarian Party has seen tremendous growth under your leadership in just the past couple of years. What would you attribute most to that to that success? I'm not sure how much or how little it has to do with my, my leadership. I think libertarianism in general is on the rise. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, uh, that that approach has certainly helped. You know, if you would have looked at our, our platform you know, uh, a couple of years ago, you'd have gotten the impression that that our goal was to, um, you know, to, to get into Parliament and then rip up all the rules, fire everyone, and maybe blow the building up on on our way out. While <laughs> wearing your Picture. Guy Fox mask. Yeah, exactly, right, and and that scares the the hell out of people, and and you know maybe rightfully so. I mean, you and I might cheer at that idea, but. But uh, no, that that really scares some. Well, not not the blowing up of Parliament part. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe not. the rest. We'll, leave, we'll, we'll need we'll need some museum, you know, to to <laughs> remind us of the state, and you know, to so people would out of hand just dismiss libertarianism as an extremist kind of ideology, right? And and that that's troubling. I don't see it as an extremist ideology. I see the state as an extremist ideology. In fact, I see libertarianism as an anti-ideology. It's a, it's a attitudinal disposition of skepticism towards extraordinary claims about the use of force. Um, and, and that's what libertarianism means to me. So to me, it's a very rational, reasonable uh, approach. But but to most people don't, don't like, th- they think emotionally, right? And so to hook them into these deeper philosophical questions, we, we can't have them immediately dismiss us as, as being... Uh, extremists or something like that. We we want to you know be a gateway drug to to the this philosophy for them, and so so we have to you know I, I we, we what we essentially did was soften our approach a little bit with our platform, and, and so instead of saying we're going to abolish all forms of taxation in, in the state, we said well let's let's decrease the amount of taxation. Let's you know we have this problem called initiatory force in society, and we understand that we can't abolish it immediately we just don't have the strength to we don't have the the um consensus to we don't you know it's not going to happen this foe that we're fighting is far too big so let's see if we can just grab onto that one arm of our foe and and slow it down a little bit and and (laughs) you know decrease the beating and so we we took that approach to our policy what could we you know realistically affect if we were to serve a term in government and so, you know, we thought, well, we could probably decrease taxation down to 15% flat tax and simplify the tax code. Now, that's interesting to people, you know, people who aren't in libertarian community, 
we'll look at that and go flat tax. I mean, that's an interesting thing. What, what else do they have to say? And then they'll start going through the list of different things and seeing all these new fresh ideas that are underpinned by our libertarian principles and, and kind of get sucked into the movement and into the party. And, we, we, and that really did help draw a lot of people into the party. We, we were able to get a lot more candidates. In fact, we had a record year this year. You know, we never had uh, this much success in our 43-year history. Um, and, and I think that that approach had something to do with it. The fact that we were, uh, we were looking at, uh, you know, at the theater of politics and trying to imagine how we could best engage the crowd that we're standing in front of to, to suck them in and draw them into this deeper philosophy. Because at the end of the, end of the day, Mark, our goal is the same as yours. You know, I think government is an emergent property of the belief system of people. Beliefs matter. They, they show up in terms of uh, bad behavior and, and they determine how you're going to behave in this world. And if you have poor belief system, you're going to have a, a, a poor behavior and you're going to have the type of government emerge from that. So in a sense, my, my, I operate under the hypothesis that government uh, is meeting a market demand for authoritarianism. People want authoritarianism, and so we have to undermine that belief system. It's not about getting into parliament and pulling some legislative levers. That won't, won't work uh, because we, we can't legislate against consensus. What we have to do is deal with the consensus. We have to deal with the culture. We have to deal with the belief system and people. And so when we're standing on stage, it's real important to keep the audience on us not have them turn their back and walk away and never be exposed to the deeper philosophies of liberty. And so we have to be very um, uh, considerate of how they're hearing our message. Now you guys did have a recent election there in Canada. Uh, obviously, it didn't turn out completely ideal because you're not the prime minister right now. But how did you guys do? How are the libertarians looking? How many libertarian MPs are there right now in, in parliament? Well, we don't have any libertarian MPs yet. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure that we... I'm not sure that we ever will. I mean, that that sounds kind of sad and 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 defeatist, but it's really not because, look, in, in order for a libertarian to get elected into parliament uh, or you know really into Congress or or as president of the U.S., uh, people have to be liberty. People either have to be libertarians and they're, therefore vote for you, or they have to believe that you're a statist. And, and vote for you. <laughs> they have to think you're something you're not, or they have to actually believe in it. And ne neither of those situations are really what's happening. Right. And, and so neither, neither of those are optimal. It, or, or, well, that, you know, being a state, pre pretending to be a statist isn't really uh, an option for me because again, you know, like if I believe that top down, uh, I could free the world, I would just lie. I would join the conservatives I'd get a seat in Parliament, and then I'd work behind the scenes as a secret agent for liberty and try to get legislative legislation passed that would free Canada. But that that isn't going to happen. That's a totally naive approach. That that's the approach that that all other politicians in the other parties take. They they just think, well, if I could just get that ring of power, then then everything will be better. Then we can make the world a better place. But it, but that that is a completely naive and futile. Um, uh, endeavor as far as I'm concerned. Uh, like I said, I'm a big believer that culture has to change. And so this, this is all about changing culture. So, so to me, you know, and the, the, the purpose of the party is to shift culture. Um, now, I think there might be a chance we could get a seat in a particular riding that had enough libertarians in it or that hate, hated the status quo enough to, to vote for us or something like that. 
Um, it, you know, so so th- there could be a perfect storm someday occur in a riding somewhere. It'd probably be a rural riding, maybe a northern, you know, riding where where people are used to being stark individualists and self sufficient and not dependent on on handouts and that sort of thing. But but you know, I'm not counting on that, and and I would still do this work. Uh, even if I knew for sure in the future that we would never get a seat, I, I still think this is far more important political action than any other party's doing. And we are actually shifting the goalposts and we're actually shifting culture, uh, whereas the other parties aren't doing anything at all. They're reinforcing it. And, you know, it, we're, we're seeing things start to pay off. Um, one of the, the, the leader of the opposition in my province, Alberta, when he was elected leader of the opposition, you know, he openly said in his first media interview that he was a libertarian. Uh, you know, they're trying to, they're, there are elements of the mainstream media trying to kind of paint our new prime minister, Justin Trudeau, with a classical liberal or libertarian brush. They were trying to do that with our, our previous prime minister as well, Stephen Harper. You know, the people that were pro Stephen Harper were trying to paint him as a libertarian. Our, you know, the new leader of the Conservative Party that it's now replaced Stephen Harper, Rona Ambrose, it's, it's a bit, there's been much ado made about how she's an Ayn Rand fan and has libertarian leanings. Is that the big smear in Canada then? If they label you libertarian, that's the way of saying like this person's terrible or? No, no, this, the, these the are other media, way around. it's the other way around. Oh, these okay. media outlets are, you know, what we're starting to see now emerge in the mainstream media even and in culture is the idea that is libertarian is becoming more popular. And, you know, so, so, uh, you know, I like to think that the work we're doing here in the party as liberty activists has a lot to do with the fact that these ideas are, are gaining popularity. Um, you know, and, and we, we saw so many people in Canada this, this election say, well, we'd love to vote libertarian. We, we totally love your party. We think it's the best one there. We love your ideas. Uh, but, you know, we're just too scared of the liberals or we're too scared of the conservatives. We can't have them. We can't risk getting them into power. So you, we can't split the vote kind of thing. Well, in that sense, it sounds very similar to what's going on here in the United States, where, yes, technically we have many, many parties. But the Democrats and the Republicans essentially control the political system. Uh, the government supports them in that endeavor. And we spend all this time where we I've met so many people that are like, you know what? A lot of the things you guys, the libertarians, make a lot of sense. And I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party per se, but just speaking of the small L, libertarians in general, they'll say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, I got to support, you know, whoever's not Mitt Romney or I got to support whoever's not Hillary Clinton. They just, there's, there's such that great fear of the other side getting in when in reality, that other side isn't really drastically different than the well, other other side. <laughs> well, well, no, that's just it. And I mean, you know, and, and this is why I say, you know, I. Like personally, again, my, my metric for success is a freer society, not uh, a seat in parliament. And, and so connecting with hearts and minds. So people telling me that they love the party and they love our ideas, that to me is, is more important than them throwing us a vote because they hate the other guys or something like that. Because that to me is, is telling me that they have they, something about our policy, something about liberty appeals to them. And they've started down that, that rabbit hole. Um, towards embracing it. And, and, you know, there was a sociological study done a few years ago that showed that, um, that there's a tipping point that sh- where culture changes, and, and that is at the most 10%. At 10% or less, um, when 10% of a population adopts an unshakable belief, the majority of the, the rest of the population adopt that belief system. And so this was true of, of abolition of slavery, of civil rights, of women's suffrage, of, of even shitty things like socialized medicine. 
um, in Canada here, you reach that 10% tipping point and the dominoes start to fall. And so to me, getting 10% people adopting an unshakable belief in liberty is the most important thing a liberty activist can focus on. Uh, now, you know, that, that, and, and so when I hear people say that they're, they're, you know, they're, they really like the idea and that makes a lot of sense. I can see in them the same thing I saw in myself over a decade ago when I'm like, yeah, this stuff makes sense and start going down the rabbit hole. So I, I think that to me, that's the most important thing. And, and that's the metric of success more than a number of votes, more than a seat in parliament, more than anything is a freer society. And, I, and so I think that, uh, that we're starting to see things pay off. And so, so, you know, to, to people involved in political action who are libertarian, I would say, say, keep the faith, you know, keep, keep going, keep, uh, keep doing your thing and don't get discouraged by how many people vote for you. That's not the point. The point is you're getting in front of an audience that never would have seen you, never would have heard the message and now has, and that is making a difference. I have to believe it's making a difference. Tim, I just want to touch on a few uh, topics that are currently, I guess, um, in the news there in Canada in, in terms of politics. Some of these were passed along to me by, by my good friend Stephen Graham, who is a Canadian and a self-described socialist. Uh, in my secret other life, I occasionally host podcasts about pro wrestling with him, uh, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Uh, but going back, uh, let's just start with the election. The current election, you saw a new prime minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, the liberals won the election. So how do you just feel the election went in general? Do you think that this this new administration will be a positive for some libertarian principles? I'm sure there's a negative you know, aspect as well either way, but how do you overall see the new government in terms of, you know, through the filter of liberty? Well, I'm relatively indifferent to, to it. I mean, I, I don't think things will appreciably change. I mean, I you know that there he's doing some things that are certainly positive in one respect you know he's uh, talking about legalizing cannabis that was one of his big platform things um you know he he's pulling our fighter jets out of the middle east um but you know the flip side of that is that his brand of legalization is going to be a totally crony capitalist they're going to hand out a few licenses and you know his uh, I, I, my understanding is his cfo uh, in in his campaign, owns the biggest pot, <laughs> legal pot, uh, um, cannabis grower in Canada. So his buddy is probably going to stand to make a lot of money uh, off his brand of legalization. And and you know their fighter jets are probably going to re- be replaced with different types of spending in the Middle East, um, humanitarian aid and different things like that. So you know it's just well, a, a different side of the same coin. Um, you know, but it, it does present us with a particular opportunity. You know, as the economy starts to collapse, which I believe it will, and you know, Trudeau's planning to to run deficits for the next foreseeable future to try to stimulate the economy. The typical Keynesian solution to uh, you know to economic downturn. Um, you know, we're going to have plenty of uh, of opportunity to say we told you so. Um, and at the same time, you know, the conservative party just got decimated and they're going to be rebuilding and it's an opportunity to really try to influence them, uh, with, you know, a younger generation of Liberty lovers that, you know, that, that have seen the conservative party kind of lose any semblance of principle to stand on. So I think there's an opportunity here, um, to, to kind of, you know, draw in the conservatives that are disenfranchised by what they saw in this election and, and 
turn they're they're right now they're looking for answers and they're looking for um, for something new and trying to figure out where to go from here. And so our party and, and the ideas of liberty are certainly poised to to attract those people. Um, so you know it, there there's definitely opportunities to be had. And I think for political pundits, there certainly will be a lot plenty of opportunities. You know Trudeau is fairly young. He's not. He, he's made a lot of gaffes uh, in the past. You know, he's talked about how he's he's <laughs> he likes China because it's a basic dictatorship. Um, you know, he's <laughs> that's that's like some kind of gaff, I'd say. That, that's yeah, putting it yeah. putting it lightly. Uh, he's done all sorts of things. He's talked about instead of bombing ISIS, dropping parkas on them, and and uh, like he's he's <laughs> dropping parkas on them. <laughs> yeah, he said maybe instead of you know you know is that a joke? Drop, no, he he was. Saying instead of uh, killing people, we should we should bring them parkas and teach them how to deal with cold weather. I mean, the, the guy is, is. Does he think uh, it's cold in the Middle East? I'm very confused by this. <laughs> uh, well, so were we. I mean, the guy is, you know, he, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed by by most accounts, and and so there, there's going to be plenty of opportunity to kind of expose how ridiculous politics in general is, and how we are marching towards this kind of. Uh, idiocratic state um, of of foolishness you know it's just become a a joke Uh, so 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 I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity to kind of reveal the wizard behind the curtain here and and really point out um, how you know we ought to constrain the state how the state should not constrain the individual and society, but how society and the individuals should constrain the state. Maybe we should stop asking for for the state to solve so many of our problems. Um, you know, just because uh, you know we have a charismatic leader who has uh, a wonderful head of hair doesn't mean we should uh, we should give him uh, the power over our lives. And I think people will will realize that as uh, uh, at least I hope they do. I want to tick back to something you mentioned earlier, and that was this Bill C-51 in Canada. And it's it sounds like it's sort of your version of the Patriot Act or the USA Freedom Act. What what are your thoughts on this bill? Obviously, I don't think you're going to be a fan of it. I can probably predict that right now. But but what can be done about this bill? And, and are there any sort of things that can be done to amend it, to make it less sort of uh, intrusive? Or well, what's your view on that overall? Well, I mean, you know, obviously that bill needs to be repealed. Um, it, it is similar to the Patriot Act. I mean, it's our version of, of this thing. But, it, but to me, it's a symptom of a, an overarching trend towards uh, government getting into our private lives and into our thoughts in general. Um, you know, it wasn't just Bill C-51. I mean, th- there was a bill before that, Bill C-13, I believe it was called, which was billed as an anti-cyberbullying bill. Um, but it allowed, it allowed uh, or, or it encouraged corporations to break their their privacy contracts with you and hand over go- to government personal information about you uh about your web uh you know web use and what you're doing online and uh and so that was a precursor to bill c51 now we see bill c51 which erodes civil liberties uh erodes due process it it allows government to kind of prosecute you in in um court private courts that are behind closed doors uh, you know outside of the the light of transparency and and allows them to further infringe your liberties now you you couple these two things uh and they they seem like they were a perfect that like they were almost necessary bills to have in place 
uh, before the TPP was signed, which now extends you know intellectual property uh, internationally and creates these kind of extrajudicial dispute resolution courts that uh, that can come in over top of Canadian sovereignty and 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 get into your personal life even more and 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 so now we're seeing you know this kind of fascistic corporate third world oligarchy uh or or um yeah that that that's invading our country right and this is invading every country so there's kind of like this this global government almost a global level of government being set up right now and and so you know a conspiracist might say that these were all tied together i i don't think there was necessarily a conscious effort but it's all part of the symptom that that we need to closely monitor what people are doing on their computer, what they're doing in their private lives, and understand what's going on in their heads, uh, so that we can control them. and uh, And so it's very troubling. Tim, final question: What would you say? What's your final plea to any of my Canadian friends out there to look further into the Libertarian Party of Canada? Why should they take the Libertarian Party seriously, or at least their ideas? Well, if if you're interested in liberty and you're a liberty activist, um, you know, there's good reason to get involved in the party. We, we are kind of like a nexus, a hub for liberty activists. Um, and, and for nothing else that you get plugged in with a network of liberty lovers who are all do, are doing all sorts of different things. It's not just political action. It's just, it's not just standing on a stage and being a candidate. It's also, you know, doing pub nights, it's doing outreach, it's doing, um, you, you know, uh, Robin Hooding of parking meters. It's you know whatever it is. Those are all people that are are attached to the Libertarian Party, and they're all doing different things. And there's a whole bunch of things. So just being plugged into the party is is a good idea in and of itself if you're a Liberty activist because you can connect with all sorts of other things. And and there's some great uh, collaborations happening that because of the party that really aren't part of the party, but they're there. You know they're happening because these people were plugged into the party. But above and beyond that, you know, if you're hesitant to engage in political action, like I was two or three years ago, I, I was, I, I would have said, there's no way you'll ever see me engaging in politics. I see it as the devil. It's antithetical. It's implicitly supporting the state. Um, well, I changed my mind. And the reason I changed my mind is because I realized that I was engaging in the same fallacious thinking as a statist. I was imagining that the state exists in material reality, that it's a magical entity, that as soon as I cross that line and say, uh, you know, I'm a candidate or a politician, that I then become the enemy. And I just realized at the end of the day, all these politicians are flesh and blood human. They're a byproduct of the belief system of people. And it's silly to not stand on a stage where there are uh, thousands and thousands of people looking uh, for big ideas and not deliver big ideas. So at the end of the day, if you're interested in spreading big ideas, if you're interested in connecting with an audience, you know, the political stage is a perfect place to do that and, uh, and deliver the message of liberty to people that are frankly lost and hopeless. Tim Moen, everybody, the leader of the Libertarian Party in Canada. Tim, it's been a pleasure, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, guys, and what a cool guy Tim Moen is, huh? Who would have thought there's some cool folks up in Canada? I'm just kidding. I have many Canadian friends, and I'm sure if you Canadian listeners as well, I appreciate all of you out there. Even if you don't fully buy in to the libertarian platform, I'm sure a lot of you listening right now will really 
at least identify with some of Tim's, like, maybe personal struggles, the way he arrived at his political beliefs through sort of self-reflection. As I mentioned, he's the only guy in the show who's literally mentioned the threat of hell as leading him towards the ideas of, of liberty. So truly a unique story from Tim, and I'm really interested in the work he's doing up in Canada. Uh, I know when we think of Canada, we think of socialism, and, you know, hey, when I think of the United States, I think of socialism and fascism. But the fact is there's... In any sort of political system where people have a voice, and both in the American system and the Canadian system, people do still have a voice. We're not North Korea as much as some, well, some libertarians might hyperbolize about such things. We still do have freedom of speech for the most part. We still do have the ability to participate in the electoral process. And as long as that freedom is there, we do have some control over our own fate. And it's important we act on that. It's important we act on our beliefs. And Tim Moan and the people in Canada participating in the Libertarian Party up there are certainly doing that. There's one thing that Tim mentioned that I just want to point out, one quote that I'm going to pull from him, because I just thought this was such an amazing way to describe libertarianism. He sort of described it as an anti-ideology, an attitudinal disposition of skepticism towards extraordinary claims about the use of force. Now, I wouldn't call it an anti-ideology myself, but I understand what he's saying there, and I really think it's an interesting way that he phrased it, uh, towards extraordinary claims about the use of force. Because we always hear these extraordinary claims about what can be done if only, if only it's done through the strong force of government. Now, I don't see government as many anarchists do. I don't see government as necessarily being an aggressive force. It certainly is in our modern society, in the modern nation states we see. The idea of individual rights doesn't even seem to be a consideration in the actions of most governments, whether they're in Canada or the United States or North Korea for that matter. But how many times, how many times do you hear someone just justify something by saying how it must be done. Only the government can do this. Only through this collectivized use of force, the way that governments operate right now, can X, Y, or Z be done. And and most libertarians, what they have in common at least, is they will at least look through the other solution, through a way to not necessarily use violence, aggressive violence upon their fellow man in order to arrive at a solution for something. And I think that's a very interesting take on it. I'm not saying it's the way I would describe libertarianism myself, but much as Tim's story about how he arrived at the ideas of liberty uh, was very unique, I find that that description of libertarianism is very unique and certainly adds value. And I hope I'm adding value to you guys each and every week, multiple times a week, perhaps more times a week coming soon. But for the time being, there are so many ways you can listen and connect to us. You can hear us, of course, on iTunes, on Stitcher, at lionsofliberty.com. You can hear us over on the weekends at libertytalk.fm, 6 p.m. Eastern, every single Saturday and Sunday, right before the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. You can also hear us throughout the week at the Liberty Radio Network. And of course, if you do subscribe to our show over on iTunes, over on Stitcher Radio, I do ask that you please take a moment out of your time to give us a rating and leave us a great review over there so we can tell other people about this show and help advance the ideas of liberty, because that's why I'm doing this thing. I'm trying to help advance these ideas, help advance the conversation, because it's a conversation we all need to be having with people, whether we're fully on board, so to speak, with the ideas of liberty, whether we're not so sure, or whether we just want to further seek truth, as Tim Moan did in his life as he sought the truth in the world. That's what I'm really seeking to do. Now, the truth just so happens to have led me to the ideas of liberty, so that's what I promote. But really, this all came from an internal search for truth in many ways, seeking what I should believe in, what is real, what is reality, what does the nature of reality tell me about how I should act towards my fellow man, how I should advocate that my government acts towards my fellow man.
This is a constant search, a constant struggle, and I'm glad to have you guys along for the ride. If you want to connect with us, there are many ways you can do so. Of course, you can find us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. If you are on Facebook while you're there, why not go in your search bar and look for the Lions of Liberty Forum. That is our private Facebook group where you can come on over, join in the conversation. You don't have to be a libertarian. Hey, you could even be a Canadian socialist if, and come and join the conversation if you like. We are open and we just want to have a good forum where we talk about our articles, talk about our podcast, talk about all the things we're talking about here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, this coming Thursday, I will once again welcome our resident Rand Paul expert, the one and only the venerable Brian McWilliams in for another edition of Rand Paul Lusses and Minuses. That's right, Rand, Paul Lusses, and Minuses, where we keep track of this quasi-libertarian gentleman and his pursuit of the 2016 presidential nomination. Until then, folks, live long and live free. Head of Editing and Mastering is John Dauber. Contact Johnny53 at gmail.com.